Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. But you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. friends and welcome to the Seeker Podcast as Service of Change, where we challenge reality, question which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. And that's exactly what I aim to do on this episode of the Seeker Podcast. We will be exploring the powers, the benefits, the resources, the science, the research behind remote viewing. It's been, at least in modern day, in use for the last, I'd say, 30 to 50 years uh, as it's grown in uh, understanding, in process and in accuracy. It is a technique that allows the viewer without any knowledge of what he's looking at to identify targets in any place, any time around the world, throughout the universe. Does it sound crazy? Absolutely. However, there is good research going up through the CIA, the DIA, and some main colleges and major colleges and university universities as well as some nonprofits that are out there today that are promoting this, sharing all of their resources and all of their research so we can look at it and say, this is something real. There's something to it. So I can't wait to jump into this show because I think it can open up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities for us. Before we do that, I would like to jump into the news. I'm going to stay away from politics this week. I try to stay away from politics every week, but sometimes I think the political stuff overlaps. I've done recent shows talking about what's going on politically and how energetically it's having an effect on us. I just listened to a speaker the other day. He said, where where intention goes, energy flows. I may be misquoting the man. It was David Icke. He said something along those lines, but you get the idea. So what we're focusing on, and that's where the energy is going, that's making these things more powerful. It's giving them more momentum. I went to um, you know, a lot of the mainstream news feeds, because sometimes they have some good stuff out there, and it's just flooded with Trump, Trump, Trump does this, Trump did that, this world, this person's mad, blah, 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 blah. It's just reality show drama. And my fear is that we, once again, do you ever notice when the political season ramps up every four years for about a year to two years, we, all the stories that were big deals before disappear. But, and that's what everybody starts to care about because we, our intention, our focus is being driven by what the media puts in front of us. And that's why it's so important to do your own research. And as I will talk about in this show, 
Learn to connect with your intuition and look in a different direction. When the media is showing you one thing, I say look in the opposite direction and see what you can find. Uh, another speaker once said, you know, when the big story comes out, what are they trying to distract you from? And that's what I always look for. And that's just not me being weird or paranoid. That's counterintelligence 101. You create a diversion over here so you can do something sneaky over here. All right, a little long-winded today. I've got two stories that I like to get into before I jump into remote viewing. First one comes to us from unknown country. This one's called 100 million year old insect is alien enough to create its own order. It's not an alien. It's alien meaning foreign. 100 million years old. That's freaking incredible to me. This came out February 1st. A new species of insect has been discovered from a 100 million year old fossil found trapped in a piece of amber that was excavated in Myanmar. Reminds me of Jurassic Park. Being dubbed an alien insect by the press, the creature was so different from other known classifications of insect that entomologists have placed it in its own taxonomic order within the insect kingdom. This article goes on to describe it. It's 0.2 inches long and the head looks like it looks like a gray alien. It's got the triangle-shaped head with the big bulbous eyes. Uh, it, it, it's it's really cool. It's a really cool-looking thing. But this thing's really tiny. It was just embedded in amber. So this thing was so foreign because of the, the way that it was put together, the way that it moved, the, the structure of it. Uh, I remember from high school, Kingdom Phylum Class Order Family Genius Species. So they're using the taxonomy, I guess, when the way they classify insects. There's 32 known or 31 known taxonomies, which are ways that they'll classify life on the planet or, or insects. I don't know if it's insects or lives uh, or life. Let me, see, let me see here. Uh, it's so alien to warrant placing it not only in a species of its own, but also into a totally new taxonomic order. Each of the roughly 1 million known species of insect fall into one of 31 different orders, but now A. Bermanicus makes for number 30. Two. That's pretty cool. This thing is a piece of ancient, ancient history, perfectly preserved in a piece of amber. So you can check the links out at servicechange.com. Go to Unknown Country and check it out. Now, this next article I'm going to get to, only two stories today, comes from us from the BBC. And this is a disorder that I have suffered from, I'd say, probably my entire life for a long time. And I'm going to share it with you publicly. Today, I'm coming out of the closet publicly with my disorder. It's called misophonia. Scientists crack why eating sounds can make people angry. Now, a little background. If I, I shouldn't say this on the air, but if I hear somebody chewing, I want to punch him in the face. I, I, I'm not a violent guy. I want to scream at him. I want to throw something at him. I got to get up and I have to leave the room. If I'm talking to you on the phone and you start crunching food, I'm going to hang up the phone because it enrages me. And I thought for my whole life, like, all right, maybe just I just don't like eating sounds. And then I come to find out that my cousin is the same. We were sitting down and I was talking to my cousin. She's talking about her daughter. She's like, yeah, she can't stand when she hears me chewing at the table. She starts yelling at me. We got into this conversation and I found out, wow, maybe there's something to this. Then we came across some research online called misophonia and it is a real disorder that people get enraged when they hear certain sounds. And for us, it's that, ch that just chewing sound. I'm not even going to replicate it because it makes me so mad. 
Um, so let, let's look at this article here. It says, why some people become enraged by sounds such as eating or breathing has been explained by brain scan studies. I'm not crazy is what it's saying. The condition misophonia is far more than simplify, simply disliking noises such as nails being scraped on a blackboard. Quote, I feel there's a threat and get the urge to lash out. It's the fight or flight response, says Olana Tenowski-Hancock, 29, from Kent. UK scientists have shown some people's brains become hardwired to produce an excessive emotional response. Olana developed the condition when she was eight years old. Her trigger sounds include breathing, eating, and rustling noises. She told BBC News, News, anyone eating crisps is always going to set me off. The rustle of the packet is enough to start a reaction. It's not a general annoyance. It's an immediate, oh my God, what is that sound? I need to get away from it or stop it. I spent a long time avoiding places like the cinema. I have to go, I have to move carriages seven or eight times on 30 minute train journeys. And I left a job after three months as I spent more time crying and having panic attacks than working. Scientists, including Olana, at multiple centers in the UK, scanned the brains of 20 misophonic people and 22 people without the condition. They were played a range of noises while they were in, in the MRI machine, including neutral sounds such as rain, generally unse- unpleasant sounds such as screaming, and people's trigger sounds. The results, published in the journal, the journal Current Biology, revealed that part of the brain that joins our senses with our emotions, the anterior insular cortex, was overly active in misof- misophonia. I-, I think that's important here beyond just this. I'm going to come back to this. And it was wired up and connected to other parts of the brain differently than those with misophonia. Uh, Dr. Sukhbinder Kumar of Newcastle University told BBC they're going into overdrive when they hear these sounds, but the activity was specific to the trigger sounds, not the other two sounds. The reaction is anger mostly. It's not disgust. The dominating emotion is anger. It looks at it like a normal response, but then it's going into overdrive. There are no treatments, but Alana has developed coping mechanisms such as using earplugs. She also knows caffeine and alcohol make the condition worse. But I have a relatively mild case and still able to have a job. I know a lot of people who aren't able to have that. I feel quite fortunate. I'm going to skip through some of this personal testimony here. Here it comes to targeted electricity. One idea is that low levels of targeted electricity pass through the skull, which is known to adjust brain function, could help. Tim Griffiths, a professor of cognitive neurology at Newcastle University and University College London, said, I hope this will reassure sufferers. I was part of the skeptical community myself until we saw patients in the clinic understood how strikingly similar the features are. We now have evidence to establish the basis for the disorder through the difference in brain control mechanisms in misophonia. Okay. And there's a video in there. I made it halfway through it before I went to throw my computer across the room. I'm getting mad just thinking about it. It's just all these sounds and people making faces. Nope, 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 nope. I don't even want to talk about it. It's that bad. It makes me so mad. Okay. So here's what's what's interesting about it. Is It says there's possible treatments. Low-level electricity through the brain. Well, what am I constantly saying in my research on this show Electricity, electromagnetism can be used to influence human mood, human emotion, and human behavior. It also says that something happened to rehardwire the brain to recause this response in people for whatever reason. Let me go back and find the quote. Okay, it states that UK scientists have shown some people's brains become hardwired to produce an excessive emotional response. 
This has nothing to do with mind control, but I've done shows on mind control. And part of that is conditioning the brain, conditioning people to have a reaction. So here is another event, a documented event, a scientifically proven study now saying your brains can become hardwired to have certain reactions, certain emotional reactions. So again, this is just more proof that with the proper targeting, mind control is possible as these other programs have talked about. We're seeing it in the mainstream media. You just have to read between the lines. That's not what this is about at all, but it shows that mechanism exists in a different format. We need to be analytical with everything that we're looking at to try to find corroboration for this stuff. Okay, so you have electromagnet, uh, electric, electric energy that can go through the brain to help alleviate some of this uh, as well, because I, I always say that is so incredibly significant. And it, the brain is wired differently here. And that's what I think is really interesting here. It, it, it's the part of the brain that joins our senses with our emotions. And, and I feel that that's how I experience life. I, my senses are so tied into my emotions. I relate everything to how I feel. And I wonder if that's a significant piece here. It, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't, I don't know, but I think that's an interesting point of research that would warrant further investigation. And I've had something going through my mind. I'm going to come off topic to this right now, but I've had something going through my mind for a while now. Let me slow it down. And it's regards to our search for truth, our search for structure, our search for a better way of life. And so many of us out there feel like we're going through this journey alone. I often feel that way, despite having the podcast. I, Especially within my social circles, I almost feel embarrassed sometimes or, or when I put something out there despite the amount of research that I have and how confident I am in my findings and the personal experiences I've had that verify these things for me to a, the level of, changes the level of believing to the level of knowing, I still feel a little bit like a weirdo when I put stuff out there and I continue to put it out there because I want this to become more common knowledge. But I think we need, I'm going to talk about this more tonight too, we need to work on developing a network. And it doesn't have to be an entire global network with thousands of people. You can have a network with five people. But here's the benefit. When I worked in intelligence, it wasn't just me and my team going out, talking to five different people and verifying their information, bringing it back and saying, okay, here's what's going on in the world. We had people collecting human intelligence, we had electronics intelligence, we had imagery intelligence, we had all different types of intelligence that we would use that would give us a big picture. We haven't had pe we even had people reviewing the newspaper because there's sometimes there's good intel in open source um, you know in open source resources. So we got the big picture. Now when you're doing your research, this is a perfect example. My research started out as looking into are these archons, these energetic parasites, real? And are they? did they influence my father's con mental condition and my emotional state when my father was dying? That's where that started. And that spread out into so many different areas. It spread out into religion. It spread out into health. It spread out into the environment, the foods that we eat. It spread out into electromagnetism, uh, astronomy, the study of the sun and the earth and the effects that it has on the human body, biology. So all of these different categories, it's, it, I, can, I can go on and on and on. Most of which are not pseudoscience. I'm not an expert in any of them. So I've had to do independent research in all of those areas. 
But what we need are teams of people who have those particular areas of expertise, who have a general understanding of the big picture, who then can look at this piece of evidence. Like somebody can look at this story from the from the perspective of somebody who's very proficient with electromagnetism and the, and the effect on, on the human body. Somebody can look at this the effect of a nutritionist can say, well, these foods have these different impacts on, on the human body, the human health, the human mindset. Do you understand what I'm getting at? If we have people in our groups, in our network that are experts in different areas and we can all come together, we start to see the bigger picture. But the problem is, and it has always been, everything is compartmentalized. And if it doesn't fit our paradigm, we say, you're crazy crazy, that's quackery, but in reality, a lot of this stuff is connected. And that's where we need to start moving toward. We need to start including people outside of our circle. If your area of expertise is, you know, I look into alien and UFO research, it's great to network with other alien and UFO researchers, but you need to get people who may not have an understanding of aliens and UFOs, but may be able to describe some of the, the scientific findings that you have and either rule out or leave open-ended or create new questions and conduct that research into, hey, what's going on with these, these fields that we're finding? Why are we finding this radiation at certain sites of crop circles? People that understand weather, people that understand everything. Put a team together. And they don't even have to be college professors. It could just be somebody with an interest and then their job is to focus research in that direction organize yourselves. We can do this. And this, I say all the time, this is revolution. Build your communities. Start building change. Or you can get sucked into the mainstream media news feed and follow the same party line that all the lemmings out there are doing, marching, marching, getting upset over all this drama that's being crammed down our throats. But there's hope. You just have to look in a different direction. And that's what we need to start doing. And we need to start doing it yesterday. That's how important this is. No violence, no anger. You're going to find actually it's more peaceful when you start going through this process and working on mindfulness and reflection and really trying to expand your consciousness in that direction. So that's where we, in my humble but cocky opinion, that's where I think we need to be going. I'm going to segue into remote viewing right now. And... Here's my segue. I, I had a really stressful week, really stressful week. Just just a lot of work going on, you know. And um, yesterday I, I I was home by myself, you know, me and the dogs. And I said I'm gonna I'm gonna take a walk. So it was getting dark out. It was you know the sun was just starting to go down. And I live up in the mountains. And so I'm gonna hike up the mountain. We have uh, probably, I don't know, a couple inches of snow on the ground. So my dog buddy Boo and I. We, uh, we set off last night right around sunset and just started hiking up this mountain. And the deeper into the woods that I got, the more relaxed I started to feel. I had a flashlight with me, but I didn't use it. I just let my eyes adjust to the darkness. And because of the snow, because the moon was at you know, the, the waxing crescent, I was able to still see, but it was pretty dark. And I noticed that places that were once familiar to me took on a whole different view. It became disorienting. At one point, I, I thought I knew where I was, and I realized, oh my gosh, I have absolutely no idea where I am, and I've hiked this mountain countless times in my life, over 30 years worth of hiking through this mountain. I didn't panic. And I remembered a technique that I work on regularly, I've talked about it on other shows, is working with my intuition. 
And this was the perfect place for me to challenge that and train that and flex that and build confidence in my my intuition, my ability to navigate. I covered an article a couple of weeks ago about people developing technology that vibrates every time you face true north or magnetic north. And they believe that this is an ability that we once had. And I think of the old Native American trackers who used to be able to, you know, find their way, find the paths. I think they're connecting into energy. Long story short, I close my eyes. I would think of a location I wanted to go to on that mountain. And then I would just start, I'd feel, a, a, it's like a pressure somewhere in my body. And I would walk in line with that pressure. And if I changed directions, that pressure would change. It would, it would pull me, it would keep pulling me in that one direction. So I'd fall in line to that. And every single time I'd end up on a trail within about 10 steps, I'd find a trail and that trail led directly to the point that I wanted to go to. It even led me directly home because I made sure I got in a point, I got myself disoriented, I closed my eyes and said, okay, which way am I going to walk? No matter where it takes me, I'm going to follow this all the way to the end. So I closed my eyes, I, you know, did my thing. And then all of a sudden, once I cleared my head and got quiet, I felt that pool. I thought of my home and the fastest way to get there. And I literally walked straight. I'd walked in a straight line and I ended up directly on the trail I needed to, to hit to go home. From the middle of the woods, surrounded by trees, I ended up on that trail that took me straight home. So we can practice this. There's a connection there. I suspect there's flows of energy and we're tapping into those flows of energy where, what did I say? Where intention goes, energy flows. My intention was on my home and there was an energetic flow that I think I was able to follow that literally pulled me home. So it's really cool. So speaking of energy and intention and, and psychics, let's talk about remote viewing. And I first came into remote viewing, I'd say I was a senior in high school and this shaped my career to some extent. I never ended up getting the remote viewing training that I wanted yet. But I read a book by Courtney Brown called Cosmic Voyage, and I've mentioned it on previous shows. And what Courtney Brown talks about in this book is how he used something called scientific remote viewing to connect and identify alien visitations on the planet earth now whoa dennis you're jumping right into this you're talking about aliens i know that turns people off we're gonna move away from the aliens we're gonna talk about the practical applications but this is what this book was for me and it blew me away because the beginning he goes through the background and the history of remote viewing how this was a program that was developed by the united states military the defense intelligence agency the central intelligence agency they were using this as a psychic spying program and they had such successful results i watched two or three TED Talks last week about remote viewing because uh, I'm always learning more and more about this stuff and was amazed at what they were saying and I came across a guy by Russell Targ who's one of the founders of remote viewing and I'm, I'm at his website right now and he has um, a copy of a Washington Post article dated 23 April 1984 by Jack Anderson it's called The Race for Inner Space and it says U.S. intelligence agencies won't talk about it, but they are rushing to catch up with the Soviet Union in what one scientist jocularly calls the race for inner space psychic research. Uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit. Um, let's see. It jumps out. It says the CIA and Pentagon have an obvious interest in this phenomenon. If they could get psychics to throw their minds behind the Iron Curtain, there'd be no need to risk the lives of human agents. That's human intelligence spies. The CIA sent representatives to a parapsychology conference in Virginia last December. 
Besides the usual spoon bending, which professional magicians have debunked as a fairly simple trick, there was serious discussion of remote viewing. In fact, the CIA is now seriously pondering the possibility of raising, quote, psychic shields to keep Soviet remote viewers away from our secrets. I asked my skeptical associates, Dale Van Atta and Joseph Spear, to find out how remote viewing has become almost universally accepted in the intelligence community. They gained access to top-secret briefings on the subject. This is what they learned. The CIA's latest remote viewing project was codenamed Grill Flame and was carried out in part by two respected academics, Howard Puthoff, formerly with the National Security Agency, and Russell Targ, formerly with Stanford Research Institute in Menlo Park, California. Puthoff and Targ conducted at least two tests that produced astonishing results. <coughs> Excuse me. They gave one psychic the latitude and longitude of a remote location and told him project, to project his mind there and describe the scene. He described an airfield complete with details, including a large gantry and crane at one end of the field. The CIA was impressed, but critical. There was indeed an airfield at the map coordinates the psychic had been given. The site was the Soviets' ultra-secret nuclear testing area at Semipalatinsk, uh, Kazakhstan, but there was no gantry or crane there. Still been a while since any U.S. spy satellites had, t satellites had taken a picture of the base, so the CIA waited for the next set of photos. And sure enough, there was the gantry and crane, just as the psychic had described them. No one in the U.S. intelligence agencies had known the equipment was there, so the information couldn't have been leaked to him. Second test involved Soviet Tu-95 backfire bomber, which the CIA knew had crashed somewhere in Africa. They were eager to find it before the Soviets did so they could take photographs and perhaps purloin secret gear from the wreckage. So one of the Project Grow Flames remote viewers was asked to locate the downed bomber. He gave the CIA the location within several miles of the actual wreckage. That's just one example among uh, probably hundreds or thousands of examples that are out there. Check out Russell Targ's website. It's ESPResearch.com. I'll have that in the show notes at ServiceOfChange.com as well. He has some remote viewing examples in here that are pretty cool to check out. It's, he has the actual picture, which was the target, and then the sketches that the remote viewers were looking at. But what are the conditions like for a remote viewer? Do they say, hey, I want you to go check out uh, you know, the Super Bowl this weekend and tell me what is going to go on in that game? No. All the viewer knows is coordinates. They're given a number. Those numbers don't always have to correspond to latitude and longitude. Those numbers can simply be randomly assigned with a list of targets. And again, the viewer does not know what they correspond to. I'm going to jump over to the Farsight Institute. Farsight Institute is the one that's run by Dr. Courtney Brown, or at least founded by him. I'm not sure if he's running it or not. I know he's uh, one of the heads over there. And the, if you want to learn remote viewing, if you want to understand remote, remote viewing, the research they have here, the, the sources that they have here, the resources, that's the word I'm looking for, you, you can spend hours on here just going through this and understanding this process because they're very transparent here. Their goal is to give this to everybody. They even have resources for somebody that teaches at the college level that wants to teach a course in remote viewing. They have you know, a starter's kit here. I, I only saw the link in the description. I haven't looked at what they, what they exactly have here, but it's fascinating stuff that they have here that you can, you can learn remote viewing on your own. I downloaded this course years ago. I got, I don't know, about... Uh, 
third of the way through it. And then, you know, I had kids and stuff and things kind of changed, but I still have it downloaded and I do intend on picking it back up. Um, but it's basically following a set of protocols or procedures. It's not just sitting there saying, okay, I'm going to quiet my mind. I'm going to chant and I'm going to tell you what I see. This is a structured set of protocols that viewers go through and each stage brings you into a more deeper connection with the target. Now, in understanding how I push my own intuition and how I've, I've really been able to expand my own consciousness when I'm trying to gather psychic data, when you read the process of remote viewing, I understand it in terms now from experience. I am not a remote viewer, but when I read the techniques that they're using, they are very similar techniques that I use when I'm just exploring my own intuition, getting a feeling and pushing deeper into that feeling, getting an image in my head and pushing deeper into that edge and exploring what data I get from it and without thinking about what it means, reporting it, recording it, writing it down, and then you analyze it. And that's what these viewers do. Now, these remote viewers through the Farsight are so good, they eventually can tell you what this is. Their drawings are so accurate. When you're in the beginning stages, you may get, hey, I have some kind of structure here. Uh, you may not know what that structure represents, but you may be able to get the general shape of it. And then the analyst can look at that and say, okay, this structure does represent our target. And there's several different forms of remote viewing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm reading now from the Farsight's webpage. Um, so they have scientific remote viewing, or SRV, which was used in uh, Cosmic Voyage, what Courtney Brown used, and they have controlled remote viewing. I'm not sure what that one is. That's a new one for me. And I know, I don't know if this is, let's see if I can read it here. Okay, well, they have scientific remote viewing, they have controlled remote viewing, and they have other forms of remote viewing. I, I, at this point, I don't know exactly what each form is, but there's different forms that, that I guess offer different types of information. I've been following a guy, his name's escaping me right now, on the YouTube, one of the YouTube channels, and he does a form of remote viewing that allows you to ask a yes or no question. So, for example, he could, where you have answer A or answer B, so he could say, are the Patriots going to win the Super Bowl or are the Falcons going to win the Super Bowl? And instead of trying to focus in on the game, he, is, he has an independent third party who has no knowledge of the question select two images, image A and image B. And then he, he describes his protocols. If image A is viewed, the Falcons will win the Super Bowl. If image B is viewed, the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. So he goes in, he does his remote viewing session, and he draws whatever comes to him in that session. Now, it can be anything. After the session, he contacts his friend. He says, hey, you know, these, the friend had selected images A and image A and image B, put them in a sealed envelope, labeled them A and B. He has the friend open the envelope, and the friend looks at, you know, image A, describes it, looks at image B, describes it, and they determine which did I which did I see, which did I perceive. And usually without a shadow of a doubt, you can tell which image this guy was was experiencing. So if he picked image A, he can say, okay, I know my dad is telling me that the Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl. And I saw several remote viewers doing this technique as they remote viewed uh, who was going to win the election between Clinton and Trump. 
And these are amateurs. These are people who have learned this technique on their own, sharing it with the world so we can understand the accuracy. And they were putting it out before the election. They were giving their data. You can make the argument, yeah, it's a 50-50 shot, but when you look at the background and the research and the credibility of remote viewing, I'd say no, it's more than a 50-50 shot. This is an accurate way to get information. And this is a simplified way if you just want to know the answer to a yes or no question. The interesting thing about this is he can do the session before his friend selects the images or the targets and still get the same information because time doesn't have an impact. It, 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 it's timeless. There's no time when it comes to remote viewing because you can view any time, any location, any event with this. So he can do the session, the person can select a target a week later, and then they can match the results up and you'll still get the correct results if, you're, if you have an accurate session. He can still describe the pictures. Even if he ends up being wrong, the fact that he's describing a picture in the envelope is pretty incredible to me which he does. So this is a useful tool to us. And again, I'm scratching the surface. I recommend you check out the Farsight Institute. They're tackling major world issues. Let me go to their homepage and just read some of their headlines, their premium projects, Martin Luther King, Adolf Hitler, the Phoenix Lights, Aliens on Iapetus, Sidonia Mars, the 9-11 project. Now, I listened to Courtney Brown's interview on the 9-11 project. It's a subject I do not talk about online. I do not talk about it publicly because I know it's such a heated subject and I am not an expert on it. I don't buy into the official story, but I am not an expert on it. I have a lot of faith in remote viewing from what I've seen, from what I've read, from the research I've looked at. And Courtney Brown was saying how shocked he was at what he uncovered in that project. So I will have the links to this site up on my homepage. You can check that out for yourself. I'm amazed at the work that they do here at the Farsight Institute. But you can learn this on your own. What a valuable tool this is. Now, we know the government was involved in these experiments. It's public knowledge now. It's not a secret that the government did develop these techniques. So who's to say they're not still using it? Who's to say this wasn't in place? As a matter of fact, I think we need to assume that the government was using these techniques during this previous election, which we may have to make the conclusion that they knew Donald Trump was going to win. They may even know what he's going to do next based on the data that they're receiving. So think about that for a minute. Was he planned for? Was he the intended winner? Do they have a plan moving forward? Like They're, they're always one or two steps ahead of us because they have this foresight. Think about that for a minute. Are they anticipating your moves? Well, instead, let's level the playing field. We all have the capability to learn this. And that's the crux of my research. Like I said, my research started out looking into a parasitic force feeding off of human energy and it expanded into human consciousness and potential. Right here is something you can do right now. You can learn remote viewing. You can learn these techniques. I'm not some trying to sound like some guru, come sit by my feet. I don't know remote viewing yet, but it's on my agenda of things to do. So... 
This is a tool we can use. Just like you use your eyes to see things and gather information, you use your ears to hear things and gather information. Even the smell and touch, we can gather information. This is another tool that is natural to human ability that has been used throughout centuries. If you look back to the, the ancient shamans, used to go in an altered states of consciousness to gather information. How many leaders throughout history have had their soothsayers by their sides? Even Donald Trump had how many religious leaders get up and give these different blessings. You know, people look to spiritual leaders for guidance. Well, this is one of the things that the old traditions used to have naturally with them. They used to be able to look into the future or look into the present or understand things. Remote viewing has been used to find missing persons. It's been used to, to view hostage situations. It's been used to find downed aircraft. A whole variety of different things. Again, I'm scratching the surface here. We have a tool at our fingertips and we need to start using it. Imagine if on your team that I talked about building, you had one or two remote viewers and they would gather data and then all your other experts, would everybody as a team would analyze that data from their standpoint, whatever your target is. Obviously, your viewers wouldn't know what the target was at the time. But imagine if you had a team, what you could do with that, what you could see with that. And how we can use that to improve our current condition in this world. And obviously it can be used for nefarious purposes as well, which I think that it probably is. But there's also those of us out there who could use it to do something good with it. And I challenge you to do that. If you're a remote viewer, you're interested in doing this and joining my team, you want to contribute to the Seeker podcast or the Service of Change, please get in touch. I think this would be something very valuable for us and for uh, for my listeners out there to use this information and to put it out there and to share it. So that's all the time I have today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. All these links will be in the show notes at serviceofchange.com. Please check your newsletters. Uh, the Seeker newsletter comes out every single Sunday morning with not just the show notes, but also some exclusive content for me as well. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Don't forget to check out Daily Gnosis, where we're exploring the Nag Hammadi Library and some of the ancient Gnostic teaches, teachings through the YouTube channel as well. And get your free ebook, I Am Human and We Are Not Who We Think We Are, that will really get you in the mindset of this stuff. That's why I made it a book for free for you to read. It really starts to break down who we are and our relationship to this greater universe around us because the wool has been pulled over our eyes. I'm Dennis Nappy II with Service of Change. This has been the Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you.
welcome to Truth Seekers.